to those in this congregation. Uh, Lord, to the elderly, uh, to those who are sick. Uh, Lord, would you uh, be with the grandparents? Would you be with the parents, the moms and dads? Lord, would you uh, keep watch over their households? Lord, would you be with our children? Lord, would you be pleased to draw them near to your throne of grace? Lord, would you be pleased to teach us all to walk in your ways more and more each day by your grace? Pray for any mothers that are expecting. Lord, we pray for these uh, new lives that you're bringing into the world. Lord, we thank you and praise you for this gift. Lord, we pray for any who are longing for children and don't have them. Those who are searching for marriage but have not found it. Lord, uh, would all of our hope and trust and confidence be in you. Lord, would we all be learning uh, more and more each day that your grace is sufficient for us. And Lord, that your power is made perfect in our weakness. Lord, be with uh, Pastor Matt and his family as uh, they have some time uh, for vacation and some time away. Give them rest uh, and uh, bring them back to continue to serve and love on your people. And Lord, would you be with us now and would you prepare our hearts even now to hear from you? We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, today's text will come to you from the book of Philippians, chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. So let me read that for us now. Hear the word of the Lord, Philippians chapter 2. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus... Every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, Father. Let's ask the Lord to bless the reading and hearing of his word. Father in heaven, Lord, would you be with us now? Lord, would you be pleased to speak your truth into our hearts? Lord, that you might not leave us as you found us this day. But, Lord, that you might conform us into the image of your Son and our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So, Lord, might your word move powerfully in us by your Spirit. And might you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, be glorified. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, what do these things have in common? Are you ready? I have a list of things for you. Tangelo. Grapefruit, peppermint, 
Loganberry, killer bees. Anyone yet? Not yet? Let me add a few more things. Liger, puggle, golden doodle. Anyone yet? All right, here's the giveaway. Toyota Prius. They're all hybrids, right? They're all hybrids. They're all part one thing and part another, right? Uh, The tangelo, right across between the mandarin orange and the pomelo. The grapefruit, across between the pomelo and the Jamaican sweet orange. The peppermint, it's not an heirloom, right? Across between spearmints and watermints. The loganberry, across between the raspberry and the blackberry. Killer bees, across between European honeybees and African bees. And of course, we get the liger, right? Tie in liger. Uh, we get the puggle. We get the golden doodle. We get the Toyota Prius, right? Can run on both gas right? and electric, right? So all these things, part one thing and part another. They're just one thing, but part of them is like this and part of them is like that. Well, what we want to do right now is, is disabuse ourselves of that line of thinking. Because in this passage... We see that Jesus Christ is not part God and part man, but he's fully God and fully man. Jesus Christ, who was God, took on a human nature and became both fully God and fully man. And we'll also see that he is full of grace. So what I hope to show you in today's passage is that Christ, our Lord and Savior, he unites us to himself and he transforms us so that we might be united as his church and bring glory to the Father. Our text starts off today uh, and there's a great call from the Apostle Paul to unity. Unity is God's desire for the body of Christ. That's not a newsflash. And when we think of this letter, this loving, flowing, rejoicing, joyful letter, right? That's how we think of it. Well, there even in the church in Philippi, there's a bit of a conflict. We learn about that in Philippians chapter 4. There's a couple members who just, they're just not getting along. And it seems like throughout the beginning of the letter, the apostle is laying some groundwork for what he's going to say to them. And so he starts that uh, before today's passage, but he's he's laying it on thick, so to speak, in the beginning of chapter 2. He's appealing to them. He's asking the whole congregation, if there's any encouragement in Christ, that is, if you have ever been encouraged by the Lord Jesus Christ, if there's any comfort, if you've ever experienced any comfort from his love, if you've experienced any participation in the Spirit, if you've felt any affection or sympathy. He's appealing to them. If that's you, if you've tasted of any of those things in any degree, then the Apostle Paul asked them, this congregation, whom he knew for about 10 years. He'd visited multiple times. He knew them quite well. Let's think back to Acts chapter 16. This is the congregation where Lydia and her family were baptized. Uh, This is the congregation with the Philippian jailer, right, where 
Paul and Silas are singing in prison in the middle of the night and the doors bust open and the jailer's about to kill himself and they say, no, no, don't do that. Um, And so he and his household are baptized. He knew this congregation well and, and he knows them so he's appealing to them and telling them then to complete his joy. It's close to complete. There's just something lacking, this lack of unity between some people in the congregation. So he says, complete my joy by being of the same mind, an appeal to unity, of the same love, he'll say, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. And he'll go on then to a few imperatives, a few commands. He commands them, first of all, to do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than themselves. So his first appeal uh, is for unity in, uh, in the body of Christ, and that's God's desire, and he appeals to these saints to be humble. And then he tells them, he's so bold in verse 4, and our translations might uh, betray us a little bit here. Uh, what we have says, let each of you not look only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Uh, some of those words are, are supplied in the English. I think it could be more accurately translated, let each of you look not to your own interests. Like, not, not, not only not to your own interests, but just don't look to your own interests and look to the needs of others. Right? Don't look out for yourself. Look out for everyone else. Okay? That's what he's saying here. He, it's a call to radical, selfless service. Right? So in this appeal for unity in the church of Philippi, he calls them to humility, right, and a life of radical, selfless service. Well, I think we all know that's not easy, is it? And I think he knows that as well. So he's going to appeal to them then and put an example before them. He's going to put that example for them, before them for multiple reasons. But the first reason that he puts this example for them is because if we're going to have unity in the body of Christ, unity in the body of Christ requires union with Christ. <laughs> We cannot be unified as God's people if we are not unified to Jesus Christ, the God-man. So he puts them before them now. If you are going to have unity, then this is where you are to be unified. Be unified among and around Christ. So he tells them, then, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. So he's just appealed to them to be humble and to not look to their own interests but to serve others. And now he tells them about Jesus who is fully God. Jesus who having had the form of God, being God from all eternity past, was not willing to hold on to that so tightly that he wouldn't become a man. That he wouldn't come to serve. So he didn't look to his own interests, did he? He didn't look to his own interests at all. He left his own interest. He left his natural interest in Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in perfect fellowship for all eternity, all the riches, all the privileges, all of that, and he took upon himself human flesh. So this Jesus was fully God but he was willing to become man. And that's what we see in our next verse. But he made himself nothing, 
taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man. So Jesus was and is fully God, but he took on human flesh and became man. Given here we are the day after Christmas, it's probably worth dwelling on the incarnation for a moment. It's worth thinking about what Jesus was willing to leave, what he wasn't holding on to so tightly that he wouldn't come here to serve and to save. Have we thought about what this entails? Have we thought about Jesus becoming a baby? We know how helpless babies are, right? Can they do anything for themselves? I mean, I have a, uh, 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 an ex-brother-in-law, and uh, when, when we had... Uh, I think our our, sa- our second child, you know, he, he was over at our house, and and he was, <laughs> and uh, and our child was like six months old, and uh, he, he and we're like, well, he, he's not going anywhere yet. He he can't walk. He's like, he can't walk. No. He, he said, well, does he crawl? I said, no, I, he can't. He, he can't crawl either. He said, well, how does he get around? Right. He he had no idea. Right. They, like, when children are born, all they can do is scream, and cry, and eat. And push that food out the other side, right? That's all they can, they can do nothing. Jesus was willing to become that. Completely helpless. Completely defenseless. Completely reliant upon earthly parents like you and me. Joseph and Mary might have been better parents than me. But they weren't different, right? They weren't fundamentally different. They didn't know things that we don't know. This was their first child. Do you remember bringing that first child home from the hospital? Have you ever gripped a steering wheel so tight in your life? Have you ever been more careful to obey all of the traffic laws in all of your life? Have you ever come to the realization so much that you know so little and you've been called to so much? All of those things are going through your mind. He had parents just like us and he submitted to them, right? So he grew up like we do, normal earthly parents. And Hebrews chapter 5 verse 8 tells us he learned obedience through what he suffered. So he had normal parents uh, just like us. He learned and grew in stature and wisdom, so much so that we can see him in the temple, right? Did you know that Home Alone happened in the Bible before Macaulay Culkin? Right? The boy Jesus gets left in the temple right, by his parents. There's proof they weren't perfect. Okay? Uh, and there he is now interacting with teachers of the law. And he knows so much already. He had, he had, he had to learn those things though. Just like we have to learn those things. In his human nature, he had to learn them. He had earthly parents. And uh, are there any teenagers left in the room? I'm going to try and lock eyes with you for a minute here, these teenagers. I'm, I'm looking around, right? If, if I look at you and, and you're not a teenager, but I think you're a teenager, you'll probably give me a hug afterwards, right? If you're like 25, he thinks I'm a teenager. <clears throat> Let me just say this to the teenagers out there. If ever there was a teenager who knew more than their parents, if, this was him. 
if ever there was. And I'm not willing to concede that he did, right? At 12, 13, 14, he's still learning in his human nature. So he may not have, but even if he did, even if he knew more than his parents, guess what? He obeyed them, right? So I, know, I don't know what happened after he, he was born. Perhaps it was like this before, but I've never met a teenager who didn't know more than their parents. Um, and they used that as a reason to disobey, right? But Jesus, if he knew more, he obeyed all the time, right? So he walked through life as we do for years. He learned a humble trade. This is who Jesus is. Humble. And he shows that by taking upon himself human flesh. So he, he is fully God. He is fully man. But the text goes on. Uh, verse 8. Being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. Even death on a cross. See, his obedience went far beyond just listening to his parents. That's a wonderful form of obedience. He carried that obedience all the way to listening to his heavenly father to the cross. See, it's on that cross where Jesus takes away all of our sins, right? And gives us all of his righteousness. It's there more than anywhere else where we see that Jesus is not only fully God and fully man, but that he is full of grace and that he offers it to us. Those who deserve that death and those who did not live that righteous life. What we get in the grace of God is God's riches at Christ's expense. It's unmerited favor. We don't deserve it. We could never earn it. And yet Jesus was willing to leave heaven and all the privileges to come live a normal human life. I would go beyond normal to say he suffered injustices and things that we can't even begin to experience. He died on a cross. He gave his life and yet he was fully innocent. This is who he is. And this is what he came to do. And our union with Christ then, remember, unity in the body of Christ requires union with Christ. And our union with Christ results then in conformity to his image. Do you see here how uh, Jesus, uh, as he is born, his life is one of humility and he goes down, down, down until he's resurrected and exaltation begins. Is it any wonder why he taught so many times and in so many ways his followers to take up their cross and follow him, right? To deny themselves, right, and follow him. How many times and how many different ways and, and in how many parables did he teach, right, that the one who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted, See, this is the way in which he walked. Jesus walked the path of humiliation which led to glory and his exaltation. And if we are his followers, right, that's what Christian means. That means we're following him. That means we're walking in those ways as well. Right? We follow the one who right, took off the garments and put the towel around his waist and knelt down 
when the disciples were arguing about who was the greatest among them. And he just washed their feet. This is who he is, and this is who he calls us to be. This is who we are following. And so, if you have not begun to experience this life of humility as a Christian, well, it's coming soon to a Christian near you. (laughs) Very near you. Because we're following Jesus, right? And this is the path to glory. Humiliation is the path to exaltation. So Christ came once, and we see that in the incarnation, and it was humiliating up until his death. But what about after that? That's what we see in verse 9. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God This death that Jesus died was going somewhere. The life that he led was leading somewhere. And it was to this exaltation. How humbling it must have been for the Apostle Paul as he wrote about Jesus' death. As he acknowledged it to know that even he himself as a Roman citizen was exempt from death by crucifixion. He had a right to something as a citizen that Christ was willing to just lay down. And so as we're united to Christ, as we are conformed to his image, that leads to exaltation. That's that's what brings true unity. When we, more and more as the body of Christ, as his adopted sons and daughters, are conformed unto his image. This is our chief end. This is the picture we see here. Now, it's a picture. It's far off in the future, right? The earth longed for Jesus' first coming, and we long and groan for his second coming, right? There'll be no more tears, no more pain, no more sickness, no more death, no more suffering. We long for that. We wait for that. We, we, we just waited for his advent and celebrated that, but we're longing for it again. And, and it can't come soon enough. And the Apostle Paul thought that. And the writer to the book of Revelation thought that when they said, Come, Lord Jesus, come, Lord Jesus. That's the cry of our hearts, that he might come, that we might have full unity, that we might be able to sing this praise to him that we read about here. Because this is our purpose, right? To glorify him. To glorify our God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. To bring glory to his name. And one day, every knee will bow. And every tongue will confess. But God's grace is patient, isn't it? It won't last forever. There will be a day when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Everyone will confess that Jesus is Lord. But today's an opportunity for anyone to confess that for the first time. On that day, there won't be an option. And on that day, boy, will the saints be celebrating. But as those who are not God's people sing that name that day, it's going to hurt. It's going to sting. It's not going to be what they want to sing, but they will sing it. If that's you today, you could never picture those words being uttered from your lips that Jesus is Lord. You have an opportunity. This one who came and lived a sinless life 
who died a sacrificial death, who was bodily raised again on the third day, that we might have newness of life, that we might walk with him. This one who is fully God and fully man and full of grace offers himself to you. He went to the cross for you. He's seated at the right hand of God the Father and even now offers himself to you. Would you confess this day right, that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father? You see, in Christ, uh, this God-man, fully God, fully man, God forever united God and man in this one person. And in uniting God and man in this one person, it's a supernatural unity. And so those that God calls to himself now, he mystically unites to Christ. He brings us into fellowship with him. We are part of his body. We are part of the God-man. We are inseparable from him. He has called us his own. And this is one of those mysteries, just like the Trinity, and just like how God can exist, Jesus, one man with two natures, so our mystical union with him is is just that. It's mystical. It can't be fully understood, but it can be experienced. It can be enjoyed. It can be partaken of. It can be shared with others that they can be invited into it as well. So God mystically unites us to Christ, the God-man, that we might be conformed to his image, that we might learn to walk in his ways, that we might learn his humility, that we might take his yoke upon us, for his yoke is easy and his burden is light. And that we might learn, as he did, to look to the interests of others and not to ourselves. Folks, that's what he's doing in us. And the more he does that, the more we as the body of Christ, the more you all as new life will be united, the more the body of Christ will be united. And do you think that might stick out like a sore thumb in 21st century America? People who actually get along. People who actually like each other. People who aren't fighting all the time about this, that, and the other thing. People who have a common purpose. People who look out for each other. People who seek to serve first and not to be served. What a witness. Oh my. Now more than ever in my short 44 years will that ring clearly. So we're, we're united to this God, man, that we might be conformed to his image. And as we're conformed and as we grow and learn in him, uh, we begin to display this unity in Christ as we humbly serve each other before the eyes of a watching world. And that's what we're called to do. That's what the church will do because of the Spirit of God at work in us. Don't think that you're alone in this. This is not girding up our loins. This is following Christ who came before us and his Spirit working in us to produce something like it to a watching world that they might come in and experience it as well. So, folks, Christ unites us to himself. Right? He transforms us so that we might be united as his church, that we might bring glory to the Father. The things we experience in this life bring the Father glory. They point to him. Will we point to him? Will we point others to him in our lives, in our deeds, and in our words? Let's pray. Our gracious God in heaven, Lord, we thank you. This your word. We thank you for this clear picture of Christ and this call to unity and selfless service. Lord, you know we can't do these things on our own. 
Father, apart from Christ coming and doing them and sending his spirit, we would fail before we even start. But Lord, in Christ, as your church, you have given us his mind, which you've told us in this passage. And you've called us to love and to serve one another. So Lord, would your spirit work in us that these things might not just become a possibility, but a reality. Lord, in this church and in all the churches that name the name of Christ. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. I think we're going to respond with singing. Okay. Mm-hmm.